welcome to the Proper Mental Podcast. Normalising open and honest conversations about mental health by having open and honest conversations about mental health. Welcome to Proper Mental episode 163 and my guest this week is Steve Warwick who is a men's mental health advocate, an eating disorder survivor and the man behind the popular Instagram page Healthy Done Sexy. And in this episode I chat to Steve about his relationship with food from both a creative perspective and a mental illness perspective because we chat about Steve's history with bulimia and how it showed up in his life and how he learned to manage it and change his relationship with food. We also talk about his Instagram page, Healthy Done Sexy, and that's all about healthy food, but presented very creatively, you know, in a way that's very pleasing to the eye. And then we talk about food from a health perspective, from a gym perspective, you know, from a a day-to-day trying to look after yourself, eating healthy perspective. So we're coming at food from all angles in this episode. We also talk about his diagnosis of borderline personality disorder and what that means to him specifically and what it was like to get that diagnosis at a young age because it's a mental illness that is hugely misunderstood. We talk about getting sober, we talk about fitness and going to the gym, we talk about diet culture, and we talk about why it's so important for men to join the conversation around eating disorders. I've done a lot of episodes about eating disorders, about food, about mental health, and this is the first one with a male guest. So it was wonderful to get Steve's perspective on this. It's such a complex topic. It's so hard to talk about. And there really aren't a great deal of uh, male advocates when it comes to the eating disorder conversation. So, so I'm just really grateful that Steve came on and I can't thank him enough for his openness and his honesty. He's a lovely bloke and it was really cool to chat to him. Go and check out Steve's social media. His page is at Healthy Done Sexy and it lives up to its name. I'll tell you that there's some very sexy looking food on his page. I've put a link to it in the episode notes. If you'd like to watch this episode, if watching podcasts is your thing, you can do so on the proper mental Patreon. £5 a month is where all the videos go as soon as I record them. There's always loads up there that aren't released anywhere else. You get them first and the money just keeps the show ticking over. It helps me stay independent. It helps me stay ad free. I really don't want to start interrupting some of these more challenging conversations to try and sell you mattresses or some other such nonsense. So yeah, so any help and support is very much appreciated. I've put a link to it in the episode notes. I mentioned before that I've done a lot of episodes about food and about eating disorders. And if that's something that's of interest to you, I'd like to recommend a few other episodes. You'd have to go back quite a bit but I've spoken to Hope Verger and Zoe Burnett, the Barefoot Rebel Zoe's been on. Also Hannah Hickenbotham from the Fuller Beans podcast. And I've also done some episodes that aren't necessarily about eating disorders, but maybe more disordered eating, about nutrition, body image, stuff that's all kind of like bundled up somewhere in this conversation as well. And if that's of interest, it would be worth going back and finding the Rachel Philpotts episode. She's a nutritionist. I've also spoke to Emilia Thompson, Bon Allen, who's a body neutrality expert. And more recently, I've done some episodes about body image with Dan Osman and with Reed Amber as well. So there's a bunch there that might be of interest. And that is definitely enough from me. And this is episode 163 
of the Proper Mental Podcast with Steve Warwick from Healthy Done Sexy. Thank you very much for listening. Enjoy. So here we are with another episode of the Proper Mental Podcast. And my guest this week is Steve Warwick. How are you, mate? Yeah, I'm good. Thank you. Yourself? Yeah, good. Thank you, mate. Yeah, yeah, very good. Yeah, glad that we're here. Looking forward to having this uh having this chat, mate. I um yeah. I thought that probably the best place for us to jump in really would be your Instagram, because that's kind of like how we um how we connected. And obviously we're yeah, gonna yeah, talk yeah. talk um a little bit about your relationship with food from a mental health perspective. But before we get there, I wanted to talk about your relationship with food from a creative perspective perspective because that's kind of what you do on your instagram right it's very uh a very creative way of putting like healthy meals together is that kind of the, the gist of it mate yeah yeah i mean i suppose it does exactly what it says on the tin like healthy dan sexy um it didn't start off didn't start off like that i mean i started just doing these these massive portions of meals and because my message that i wanted to get across is that you don't need to have restrictions when you're trying to live a healthy lifestyle and you can have curries and Chinese's and whatnot you know if you make them at home and you make a few changes um but then as it progressed I started seeing proper chefs um <laughs> do uh, really kind of intricate plate-ins and and I thought I, I really want to have a go at that so I, I just started playing um and where I'm at now earlier this year I saw uh, Massimo Batura the way he uh, splashes plates around his plates uh, sauces around his place and um yeah i thought well we'll never go at that so i started doing that as well there we are yeah I'm, I'm, just, your... I'm just copying people really but yeah why not right <laughs> that's why oh i know it's the best compliment what's um is your background in like chefing or something steve is that like because you you're good dude like is this like a hobby for you or is this a you know like you're getting into food and stuff no the uh the closest i've been to a professional kitchen was when i was in a restaurant and it was there <laughs> uh, <laughs> wow i would have no, assumed just, that yeah i would assume that you had a, a background in this stuff mate no no never never been kind of honored to to be in that kind of environment and i get i often get called chef or referred to as chef on on instagram and i i kind of politely correct people because i've never done 20 hour shifts in a hot kitchen i've never kind of slaved like that so i don't deserve that kind of title so to speak yeah yeah oh mate that's interesting do you um i'm assuming that you must enjoy the the creative element of it you know of like yeah splashing those things around putting those things you know to make it look a a certain way i'm kind of obsessed with this idea of like creativity and how it's really good for us mentally but um society tends to put creativity in a box you do you know what i mean like it has to be one thing or another thing and um i think that that stifles us uh you know creatively and i think it can be really good to express ourselves you can you can be creative through anything right even like throwing sauces on plates but uh does that kind of um yeah does that sort of scratch that creative itch for you steve i suppose i'm asking Uh, yeah i've i've always said that getting all your the ingredients together and kind of having them laid out in front of you is for me the same as an artist with his paints and and an easel um it is that kind of creative outlet and i've relatively recently kind of put uh, an idea together that I think that there's a, a strong link between creative people and mental health issues. 
I think they're the you know the, the genius insanity kind of crossover. I find that a lot of creative people are more uh, delicate, or their mind is more open, and therefore maybe more vulnerable. Yeah, yeah. Just a theory. <laughs> yeah, no, it makes a lot of sense. I tend to, um, I like to ask when I have creative people on. I tend to, I try and ask a a question along those lines and I haven't quite found the perfect way to phrase it because I always get a completely different answer and it's not always what I mean by the by the question but I know exactly um what you mean it's almost like um I, I see it as from my own perspective it's a bit of a trade-off like some of the things that I do that I'm good at I think I can only do because I'm sensitive and because I think deeply and those are things that also really kind of affect my mental state as well and i kind of i'm ne- I'm not sure i think if i had to say right i'll never struggle with my mental health again i'm not sure i'd be able to do some of the creative stuff i do there is a kind of there is a link there i'm, I'm with you on that one mate yeah, yeah. Well, like um music and lyrics like the best songs are the most kind of painful and emotional ones aren't they yeah yeah very much so yeah i had a guy on um a couple of years back a um a really good uh, advocate called Josh Connolly. He does a lot of work in the, like the men's masculinity space and uh, resilience and stuff like that. And he said to me, um, a quote that always sticks with me, he said, if something along the lines, I'm probably going to butcher this now is along the lines of, um, he was speaking like from his perspective. And he said, my biggest strength is my ability to think deeply. And my biggest weakness is my ability to think deeply. And I was like, yes, that kind of, <laughs> that makes so much sense to me. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So I suppose like uh, drifting the conversation towards the mental health stuff, then we're going to talk about eating disorders a little bit this evening, mate. Mm-hmm. Does that, does your history with that, did that influence you being creative with food and, and putting the page together and stuff like that? Yeah. Yeah. Because you know, for a long time, food was the enemy. Um, I think there's, um there's this kind of, common uh misconception that people with eating disorders don't like food and it's it's very very much the opposite like uh i love food i absolutely love it but i thought i was scared of it so i thought uh, whatever i eat i was going to get fat um so that was kind of how i started my page when i started my journey i don't don't, don't like using that word when i started my journey of uh recovery it was i started discovering these kind of new things that i could incorporate into my diet and i could i I started eating more and more and more and that's the message i wanted to put out at the time is that you know i you don't have to restrict like i was and be healthy uh but I, i never at the beginning never made that link with the disorder to my my instagram page i never wanted to be I'm, I'm still embarrassed, I guess. I'm still ashamed of it. So that was a, a dark secret. Yeah. It's, um, food's complicated, right? If we just like even take mental illness out of it and just park it to one side, food is complicated. You know, like it, I used to work in yeah. an office years ago, man, and like disordered eating was rife. And people, it was so yeah. normalized, uh, that, but you could just see it all the time. And um, yeah, it's. I think us modern humans in general we have a very complicated relationship with food before we even start talking about mental health and mental illness right it's it's a confusing space isn't it yeah and i think it's it's made worse by uh, the media and by influences where you've got people splashing the word healthy everywhere 
you know and it's like no one really understands what healthy means healthy to me is something that a, a doctor would say eat this lots of it all the time and it will not negatively affect your health yeah not this is healthy but you can still only have one every two weeks it, 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 there's there's so many what someone once said to me like everything i eat is is healthy everything i eat is is homemade and i went you can make a cake at home it doesn't make it healthy you know <laughs> just because you make it yourself doesn't mean it's healthy <laughs> yeah yeah it's, it's it's very it's very confused. The whole the whole food thing is just a bit bit of a black hole. Yeah, very much so. I'm thinking of them that thinking in those sort of binary terms of healthy and not healthy. You know, like it, it's you know a slice a slice of cake is completely fine. Eating maybe two whole cakes to yourself maybe isn't that a great idea. You know, it's so it comes down to and whenever we talk about healthy food, we never talk about we talk about one thing, but we don't talk about all the other stuff we're eating. So it, like it, in the context of what someone eats day to day, week to week, month to month, like one thing could make loads of difference or no difference at all, right? But we um something that always amazes me is how some sort of myths with food just like hang around forever like decades you know there's a whole generation that if they decide that they want to uh, lose weight or change the way that their body looks then they just cut out like bread like that's still hanging around uh, from the yeah. 80s and the atkins diet right and yeah. it's amazing how embedded how we think and feel about food is just in like day-to-day -day normal society eh? oh yeah and you've got you've got the power of uh you know, the, the diet plans that you go on or drop any names in. Um, and they are all kind of restrictive diets and they have like kind of low carb is, is generally the, the thing they lean on. A lot of people, they come to me and they, they say they've been on this, that and the other diet um, and they don't work. And I try to try to tell them kind of gently that they don't want them to work because they want repeat custom. You know, if you eat if you eat three balanced meals every day, and you know, fill yourself up in each with each meal, uh, and don't snack and don't eat shit and don't get loads of takeaways, then you, you'll be fine. It's really quite simple, but it's just confused everywhere, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. And then when you start to throw in like human emotions and like food is so often a mechanism for something else, and we're always oh, so yeah. focused on food, so focused on food. But if you know, if you're constantly swinging off the cupboard door there's often a reason behind that right whether it's a distraction thing whether it's a punishment thing whether it's a controlled thing um but again even in just general day-to-day -day human beings um yeah there's a the, the the food is the thing but there's often a thing behind the thing that means that well we have such a complicated relationship with it right yeah 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 and the I find you, you mentioned offices and offices are just like a, a haven for cakes and biscuits and, and whatnot. They're always, you never, the person who brings in like uh, apples and pears and bananas is never that popular, right? Just to, to <laughs> yeah. share it around. That's it's it, all about yeah. the hobnobs. <laughs> it is. Yeah. But only on a Friday, soup Monday to Thursday and then cake on a Friday. Um, unless yeah. anyone's, unless anyone's weighing in, if you, if you're weighing in that night at your club, then that's a starve yourself day, right? That's a don't eat anything day. Yeah. Unless of course it's Mavis's birthday again. And she's brought in two cakes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Yeah. But it is um it's normalized, isn't it? You know, and like we'll be yeah. quite tongue in cheek there. But um it is so normalized when you look at these things out of context. It is really, it's quite, yeah, it's quite 
unusual i'm an emotional eater you know i know when my life gets stressful i kind of lean on the the sugar a little bit and um Mm. yeah i tend to go back and forth but i think i I know that i do it do you know what i mean like i don't think right i'm going through a lot i need to cope i don't drink i don't smoke like i don't have many vices so like Mm. i kind of see uh see as that as a short-term coping mechanism but um yeah it's when i think maybe when people do it without knowing or don't have that control to say right i'm just gonna like you know feed my feelings for a day or two and then go back to how i was before that that's when i suppose when it gets a bit more a bit more problematic yeah complicated stuff uh. the, the the control thing is when i was when i was very poorly um if i if i had one hobnob i'm gonna say hobnob is my favorite biscuit milk chocolate uh if i had one then i might as well eat the whole pack and then if I eat the whole pack, then I might as well go and have a cheese and bacon toasty or something. Yeah, that didn't happen often because the fear was stronger than the want to eat that one hobnob. But if, if, if you're going to have a blowout, then you're going to have a blowout. Yeah. Control. Not much of it. Yeah, that's it, isn't it? It's sort of one extreme to the other often, I think. Yeah. When did your, if you, when you look back now, mate, when, when did your sort of relationship with food start to get complicated? Um, I think late, late teens, early twenties, I'd say was when it really, when you, when, when I was a teenager, I was playing loads and loads of sports. So I could eat, you know, seven dinners and that was okay. Um, but then I went to uni and it was still seven dinners, but also seven pints. And then I, I started putting on weight. Uh, and it was a bit of a shock. I was like, what, what is this? this? This has never happened. I didn't know what a calorie was. Um, and then uh, it was noticed and whatnot. Uh, and then it becomes it becomes relevant to you then, doesn't it? It's then at the forefront of your your mind. Um, I suppose some people, some people just go, I don't care. Uh, other people just very kind of rationally just say, that's fine, I'll just lay off whatever, the, the pints of the weekend. Um, but I already had a fragile, delicate mind and it, it, it kind of just crippled it. Um, and then food became the enemy. Right. Do, did you, at, at the time, were you aware that it was getting sort of unhealthy for you to think about food that way? Because I think sometimes we just these things kind of creep up on us. I suppose thinking from my own perspective, I, I now know that I was ill for a very long time before I knew that I was ill. Right. So I kind of just kind of did these weird things that I thought were just me, you know, that I thought they were like personality traits and I used to try and hide them from people, but I was very aware that I was thinking things that most people probably weren't, Um, you know, and then it was only much like much later on that I, you know, I ended up in like therapy at a crisis point and you kind of, you know, start talking about your life and you look back and go, oh yeah, shit, that really was really not in a good way back then. And I didn't realize. So it always kind of interests to me, like whether people, you know, if you kind of, yeah, as that sort of relationship with food progressed, you know, whether that was, uh, you know, whether you knew what was happening or not. I knew what was happening. Um, when I started making myself sick, because that was definitely not a personality thing. That definitely wasn't just me. Uh, <laughs> that was something that, that I could definitely say, right, this this isn't quite right, um, but I, I feel better for doing it. 
Um, but before that, like I look back at uni when I was staying up all night, all day, all night, all day, and I would feel victorious for not having anything to eat. Like if I look back now, I, I you know, definitely I, I was I was starting to get really ill then. Um, and I crashed out of uni after year two. I just had a complete nervous breakdown. Um, but at the time, I just thought I thought I was different to everyone else because everyone else was kind of not putting on weight or not changing so much. Or if they were, it still looked okay. Um, but I was the ugliest, the ugliest thing that I I saw reflection wise. Um, so yeah, so I was very different. I was unique, and I was the only person that had to do these things, or whatever. But it wasn't. I didn't associate it with mental illness. Yeah. How did um How did that become then that you would? How did bulimia start, mate? How do you go from that through to to making yourself sick? Um, do you know what? It just came to my head one day. I I was with an ex girlfriend, got a subway sandwich, convinced myself to eat it, uh, went back to hers, uh, and on the on, on the drive home, I kind of planned it in my head and exactly what I was going to do. Um, but I, I don't know if I mentioned that when I was 15, I was diagnosed with borderline personality disorder. So when I started making myself sick, that, that all or nothing mentality uh, was rife. And I, I would, I would vomit and vomit and vomit and make myself sick until, <laughs> until <clears throat> either I could see stomach lining coming up or I just collapse. Uh, Yes, it was quite quite brutal when I was actually doing it, but yeah. I don't know how I don't don't really know how it came about. I mean, it's the same as smoking. Like, I'd never smoked a cigarette in my life, but one night at university, like we're out at the club, and I just went, "I want a cigarette." I've never smoked. It just all of a sudden I've got an idea. <laughs> yeah, 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 mate. How had you heard? You know, had you heard of eating disorders, or you heard the word bulimia at that time? Um. Yes, yes. So I did. I did study uh, psychology at AS level. Um, so we we kind of covered that. Um, and family members had all all dead suffered. Um, so I knew, I knew, I knew roughly what they were. I knew that it was a mental illness and not like a just that person eats a lot and then throws up. I knew it was deeper than that. Um, I t- you know I didn't really label myself as as bulimic or or anorexic that kind of just flipped into bul- uh, bulimia i didn't label myself for a while but i suppose that's denial isn't it you, know, you don't want to admit to yourself that you're kind of tumbling down a black hole yeah yeah very much so i remember um like really resisting like getting a name for anything because i felt like once my situation had a name, then I'd have to do something about it. Like it was going to change everything. Right. And it's that whole thing. I say this a lot on the show, but sometimes like when your life's shit, but you know, every inch of that shit, then you say, well, at least it's not going to, at least I can control this shitness and it's not going to get shitter. But if I have a name for this and then I have to act on this name, then it's going to start this process of events that I'm going to have no control over. And that's really fucking scary. And I'm going to have to do loads of stuff I really don't want to do. So I'm just going to stay here and be fucking miserable and just hope it all goes away. You know, there's that kind of, uh, kind of thing with it. It's kind of ignorance is bliss, but not really that blissful. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what mental yeah. illness is so sneaky right because it kind of lies to us and convinces us that we're making these right decisions and that we're doing it for the best or that you know we'll sort it out and um 
you know, yeah, that's not, not really the case. You know, how did, how did you get to enter into recovery, mate? How did you sort of get to a point where, um, where you could get help and, and what did that help look like? Um, so it you know, went on for a few years and I got really quite, quite ill with it. Um, like there was a, a failed suicide attempt, um, and I just threw that in the mix towards the end there. Um, but I think with, with my like mental state, there, there was a lot of alcohol, loads of drugs, uh, and there was a lot of ostracization. And I ended up kind of just living in a flat with kind of nothing, and, and my TV was broken. And I sold uh, the sofa that I had, I sort of on the floor scattered bottles around me because the only kind of release that I got from the world was just to get pissed or, or to get high on something. Um, and, you know, it, it kind of gets to the point where you either die or you say, I've had enough of this. <laughs> this needs to get better. Right? I, I need to improve something. I'm worth more than this. You know, my, I, want, I want my friends back. I want my family back. And they they came they came to a point where I won't mention exact relations, but some people very 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 close to me were considering getting a restraining order on me because I was just too erratic, um, and they were never sure if I was going to be high or pissed or cause a ruckus. I was never I was never like violent or a complete like psychopath, um, but I did make ridiculous decisions sometimes. Um, so people just didn't want to be around me. So I was very, very, very much alone. Not only was I lonely, but I was alone. Um, and and I, I don't know. I just I thought I'm I'm better than this, or at least I deserve more than this, more than what I was giving myself. Yeah, it's a really beautiful realization to come to. Right? That's um yeah, that's uh that's really cool, man. Yeah, really cool. So what's the, what's then? Did you reach out? Did you go to a a service? Like, what's that first step when you have that that realization? No, I did once go to a doctor. And I said this on all of, all of my podcasts. Um, went to the doctor, kind of to, uh, plucked up the courage to make the appointment, sit in the waiting room, wait for that, wait for that green light to come on next to the doctor's name. Uh, and I went in and, and, I, and I sat down and I just said, I'm bulimic. Um, quite, quite confidently. Um, and he, he said, I'll be the judge of that. Wow. And and I just I just closed down. I, I, you know, that was that was me reaching out for something, some kind of support, and uh, and that was the response. And I don't, I don't, I don't. There's no negativity there for me towards him at the time because you know it would have been a bit of a knee jerk on his part, and you know, completely out of the blue, um, it wasn't responded to properly or, or you know positively. Um, but yeah, so I, I did reach out for help. That went like that. So when I when I decided that you know I wanted to make myself better, uh, the first thing I did was stop drinking, I stopped taking drugs, I stopped smoking, I quit all things on the same day. Um, and this this is where I started using my borderline personality, all or nothing, kind of swing to my advantage, because. If I say I'm going to do something or I say I'm not going to do something, that's 100% going to happen or not going to happen. Like I, if I set my mind to something, that's that. Uh, so I, I quit all the, uh, all the fun things and, uh, and I started plodding forwards. And I think 
when you take out when you take out drugs and and alcohol when you take out things that that fuck up your brain anyway then clarity is possible and then you can start sorting things into boxes and and kind of build in the future yeah you're giving yourself the best possible chance right to at the very least Definitely. um have a go at it yeah how did you find the process of um of stopping all all that stuff i'm sober myself i've like i was in seven years in july this year like since since i've had a drink and um i I still really miss it. And I'm like really like fascinated with people who like give stuff up because there is a real narrative on social media that it's like, it's really easy. And as soon as you start go sober, like life gets great. And that really wasn't the case for me at all. And sometimes it's still not. Um, but yeah, how, how was the, how did you find it, mate? How did you find stopping that, that life? Uh, I'm really sorry, bud, but, but I found it fantastic. Did you mate? Yeah. Um, I sometimes, look, I do sometimes look back on, on the, uh, on the days of cocaine and think that was a lot of fun but 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 it was only fun for me not yeah. anyone else around me <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um but no when it came to kind of giving up drinking um the second i gave up drinking my parents said like well come back home so i had love instantly um and I, you know, the second i gave up drinking i didn't have the fear of waking up after you know after causing shit the night before and things just started happening better. You know, the life got better very, very quickly the second I chose not to kind of indulge in that in that side of, of life. So, yeah, I never missed it. Never missed it for a second. And, like, even after, like, the first month of... I kind of sound like I've had a drinking problem. So I would binge. I would go months without alcohol. Then the wheels would start to fall off. And then I'd go drink, 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 hide, 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 right? But that obviously wasn't a healthy way of dealing with life. Um, so after the first month or two of, of not drinking, I would happily go out with anyone to a pub and happily not order a beer or a wine or anything. It, it was never the second I made that decision, it just wasn't a problem. Yeah, that's cool, man. That's really cool. Yeah, no, I just say I, you know, I can I can sit in a pub, I can be around people who who drink. I just choose um choose not to anymore you know that's uh it's just yeah it's that that simple for very very similar reasons it's you know without the uh the chaos i mean for, for some for a lot of reasons i suppose my life's kind of moved on you know i've got like kids and all that you know i just don't i don't live that life like i'm so far removed from it now do you know what i mean like it's not even a uh you know that certainly makes it easier are you saying that we're uh we're just too old for that now aren't we yeah, you go maybe. to a pub now and it's got 18, 20 year olds in there. You feel like a granddad. And it's just like, it's I, can't so deal. I can't deal with this. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know, one of the things that 100% stops me from drinking is the thought of a hangover. There is no way in <laughs> hell I could I could suffer through uh, one of those uh, hangover days now. It's just, uh, yeah, it doesn't even bear, bear thinking about, man. Yeah, that's a young man's game. Yeah, definitely. And I never had one. I never had a hangover. Really? Mate. Never had one. I, I had alcohol poisoning a few times, but I never had a hangover. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I suppose coke helped, helps a bit with that, right? <laughs> yeah, it does. Yeah. <laughs> it takes, takes the edge off. Yeah. Uh, it's um. How did you um? Did you, with regards then to re- recovery? You know, once you you pack all that stuff in, um, start feeling better about yourself. You know, getting back with your family and stuff like that. Did you um? Did you go to therapy? Did you just kind of like just stop this stuff? Like, how did that work for you, mate? I've been. I've been to therapy a few times 
uh, in my life for uh, not for eating disorders, but for the borderline personality disorder. Um, I, I didn't find it helpful, uh, but you know, I was young and kind of sort of bullshit myself, and you know, just it just wasn't going to work for me. Um, how I kind of when I started recovery, I was still extremely restrictive. It was still, you know, chicken and broccoli and carbs are the enemy, especially bread, faster bread. I, um, but then I just started a journey of, of learning. Um, so I, I, did, I would read and read and read and kind of understand the human body and nutrition and, and really kind of push myself to, to help with that, to use that learning to help me. Um, so it's still a case of me kind of looking at the same kind of uh, question 20 different times by 20 different authors. And if their answers were correlating, then I'd, I'd have to believe that. That would have to be true. So then I'd kind of dabble in carbohydrates. And then if I had carbohydrates, and then the next day I'd get up, I'd run to the mirror and lift up my top to see if my abs were still there. I mean, I was still really poorly, right? That this is how I based my my level of health was: Do I have a six pack? Uh, so it was like I had bulgur wheat one night around my my little sisters, um, and the next day I wake up, run to the mirror, I didn't get fat overnight. Yeah, so it's still trial and error, and you know, convincing my brain that I was was making the right steps. Um, yeah, and that went on for that went on for many many years, and it still goes on to today to an extent. Um, but just this instead of instead of this. Yeah, yeah. I always think like I, weird. I was talking about this with someone today, but I, I kind of think the that sort of you know checking in with yourself, working on this stuff, investigating that stuff. For me, it never really stops. The main difference is that the stakes aren't as high, because yeah. you know when all this started for me, the stakes were really high. Because if I fucked up, then I you know I was in I was in crisis, right? But whereas now, like if I kind of get a few things wrong or do something I shouldn't do, or then it's not that bad. I just feel a bit a bit shitty, and I know what to do when I feel shitty, right? I know how to get through it. I know how to get. I know I'll be all right. So the stakes are relatively relatively low but i think that's the difference isn't it getting to a point where you kind of go well i can't unlearn all the things that i've learned so i yeah. know that i'm not going to go all the way back to there so that gives me a bit of a freedom to keep moving forward and getting things wrong because if i do take a backward step it's a small one rather than a big one yeah i watched um one of yours actually i can't remember the woman's name she was she was american and she talks about the ups and downs and whatnot and being able to ride the full journey yeah. And being okay with getting the lows and, and being okay with the highs. And, and, you know, it's about the full journey rather than, you know, stages at a time. Because mm. a lot of this stuff is about kind of avoiding the extremes of that journey, right? Whether it's like food or booze or, or whatever it is do or whatever we do to avoid that is to yeah. um to not feel those strong strong feelings, both both good and bad. You know, we can hide it, can't we? Hide it in food, hide it in booze, hide it in all these things. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. De definitely hide it in booze. <laughs> yeah. yeah you, I, think, you... I, I, I think that the uh, kind of hiding hiding my problems in alcohol would have been fine in a time before mobile phones. But, you know, the second you get a bit tipsy and it, it just like texting everyone on your phone and making your problem 10 times worse. <laughs> Yeah, very much though, especially when like you wake up in the morning and initially you just don't have that memory of that thing, right? And then it's that 
that feeling that slowly kind of washes over you when you're like, oh no, fuck, I didn't do that, did I? And you have to kind yeah, of like yeah. face up to um to all that stuff. Yeah, that's a that's a bad feeling. Yeah. Or yeah. instead of facing up to it, you just start drinking again. Just go you, again. You keep burying your problems. That's it, man. Yeah, that's it. You need to get the phone back out again later. Yeah, it's that <laughs> it's that that cycle, very much so. Yeah. You you mentioned um when you first set up your your Instagram, um, you didn't mention so much about the eating disorder stuff. You know, there's still a bit of shame there, I think you said. How mm. do you how did you start to deal with that? Because I think like eating disorders are I think they're quite sort of misunderstood by people outside of the mental health space. I think that goes a level, there's a level more stigma when, as a man talking about eating disorders, that's different again, right? That adds like a a different, a different sort of thing to it. How did you find, how did you start to work past that shame? I suppose I'm asking. Um, Well, that's only, that's only really become a recent thing. Um, I decided like maybe the beginning of this year that I wanted started linking bulimia in with my page um but before i didn't i didn't want i didn't want to mention bulimia because i didn't want people to start following me because they felt sorry for me or like yeah i didn't want to be bulimia boy makes nice food i, I didn't want that um but you know there's been a massive surge in people trying to understand mental health and men's mental health uh, especially so i i kind of thought i i want to be part of that and I, I look back at my, myself when I was in my early 20s and suffering and very lonely and suicidal. And I think loneliness is the worst part for me of, of, uh, of, of mental illness. And, and being, or just thinking that your life is going to be that every single day for the rest of your life. That, that's how you want to live. And I know that people are still still struggling so there's still young men still struggling with, with eating disorders and then and body dysmorphia and they're still feeling alone because there is still that stigma it's still really difficult to come out as i'm a man and i have an eating disorder so i, I wanted to voice my story to try and help people who might be in that same situation mm, that's huge isn't it you know when you kind of when you need help and you're looking for help, you know, online in podcasts on YouTube, whatever, and you just don't see it or you see it, but you don't feel included. Right. Cause the people don't look like you or they don't sound like you, or it sounds like a, you know, I think particularly, yeah, as a, as a man. And if you Google like eating disorders, you're going to have to go for a lot of pages about women before you get to a page about my, uh, oh, yeah. about men. Right. It's just, um, yeah. It's, it's to have that representation there to have someone that you think, Oh, crikey, that could be me. That's one of the most powerful, powerful things you can see, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, you're right. It was uh, talk about bulimia, and I think even even me now, I automatically think of a stereotype, a ballerina or something. You, you know, or, or people in the performing arts. Um, I don't, I don't think of a famous male celebrity that suffered or anything. There's just not that representation. Uh, I suppose that's a strange word to to use, but it is. <laughs> it's a tricky word for two two like white blokes of a similar age (laughs) on a podcast but yeah i know exactly like we use that word because there isn't there isn't another word right you know it's a it's just yeah these things aren't aren't out there so um yeah man so yeah it's it's really cool how do you balance um your relationship with fitness because you're 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 a gym guy i see that on your instagram as well you know and that that 
I think that complicates things further as well, right? Like exercise and eating disorders. It's a really, it's an interesting space. We know that exercise is good for us for loads of different things. It kind of starts to blend into, it gets tricky, doesn't it? When we start to kind of mix it with food or relationships with food or how we see our bodies, it's a, it gets very blurry, right? So how's how's that for you? How do you manage that? That um, So exercise has been something that I've done since I was very young. Uh, my first my first kind of wake up call to how a body should look, I suppose, was uh, at the school. Uh, some girls were flicking through a magazine and saying how hot Peter Andre was. Mysterious girl, remember the old? Oh, I diet. certainly do. Yeah. yeah, dancing in a waterfall. Yeah, 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 yeah. So you know, they were chatting about a six pack, and I was like, "What's a six pack?" Um, but yeah, I knew, I knew then and there that I needed whatever this six pack was. Um, I found out what it was, and then I started just obsessively doing sit ups and press ups every single night. Um, but I didn't know anything about exercise or nutrition back then. Uh, and now fast forward to, to now when I'm eating I'm, on purpose, I'm eating too many calories for my body to try and bulk up and get bigger. So that's that's been a, a journey in itself um, because, again, I've, I've had to do a lot of reading and a lot of understanding to get to the point where I volunteer to eat too much that's that's been a really big step change this year um but yeah so it's um it, exercise used to be something that i i kind of did obsessively and now it's something that i do to help my mental health and to try and better better my, my physique yeah, yeah. I work that. <laughs> <laughs> it is yeah it's a juggling act right so yeah. yeah very much so but it is the yeah, there's lots of benefits, right? There's all the, the obvious ones, but there's also that, I don't know, there's something that the regular of exercise of just like showing up for yourself, just like just doing something for you, you know, because you can't show up for yourself if you don't feel worthy of it, right? So Absolutely. like just, you're just increasing your self-worth by just doing something that's that's good for you and just doing it on a regular basis, even if you don't really feel like it. There's, there's definitely something something in that, I think. Yeah, I never, I never really feel... I, I never wake up in the morning and go, yes, I'm going to the gym. You know, it's never that. But I, I always leave the gym going, yes, I've been to the gym. You know, the, the, you know it's a great it's a great boost. It does make you feel good about it. It sets you up for the day and, yeah, it's really good. Yeah, yeah, definitely, mate. Well, can I um ask you some questions about BPD as well? Because um, yeah. that's, a, that's, a, like a, that's such a difficult diagnosis to talk about i've had a lot of people on the show over the last couple of years with bpd and every time i've asked like what is it they've kind of everyone has a very different understanding okay. and it it feels like even like people in the medical space don't really kind of understand it like how do you how do you explain it to someone if someone says like what's what's bpd what's how do you kind of uh try and vocalize it so i'm fucking mental leave me alone <laughs> <laughs> Um, so I, I suppose I kind of put the metaphor there that we're standing on a platform and that's our kind of safety zone outside of that platform is, uh, addiction, mental health issues and, and bad, bad things. Um, and with BPD, the platform is slightly smaller 
slightly more fragile and slightly more wobbly. So you can fall into any direction. And that's that's how I kind of view it is in a very simple term. Yeah. No, that kind of that makes a lot of sense, right? That makes a lot of sense. I'd um uh, Tatton Spiller on the guy who started uh, Simple Politics, and um, yeah. Tatton's got a BPD diagnosis, and he described it as he said, "It's the label you get uh, when they don't know what to do with you." <laughs> it's the, it's yeah. the label when, they... when they, yeah, when they can't fix you, when there's no drugs that they can throw at you, oh, borderline personality disorder. <laughs> yeah, when nothing else fits, that's that's the one they uh, one they use. Yeah, do you find that um, you know speaking in terms of labels, does that fit to you? Does it make sense when you like think about yourself and 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 that because a lot a lot of people like just reject that label altogether and just say I'm not you know that, that doesn't work time, for me. At the time when I was when I was 15 and they and they gave me the gave me that ticket, it was it was a relief, um, not quite a badge of honour, but something that I could kind of lean on. You know, this is why I feel this way. This is why I'm acting like this and, and whatnot. But I also think it's kind of like horoscopes where you can read all of the horoscopes without seeing what they're labeled as and go, yeah, yeah, that's me. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's me. That, that That's me as well. So I, I understand, I understand what he's saying by it's a, uh, just throw it at you if they don't quite know what to do with you because that's, is very accurate. Um, but I do display certain traits, um, negatively when I was younger, positively now, um, but I've seen, I've seen, I've met people with borderline personality disorder, and they've, you know, and, and they've handled it completely differently to me. So lots of people were emotionally, emotional eaters, and kind of really, really, really obese. Um, and that's how they dealt with it, or that's how it kind of structured itself in their life. That's what I mean. It's it's that kind of flimsy platform. You can fall off either 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 way. Yeah, there's so much. Um there's so much crossover with mental illness as well. You know, like I, it, it, it's why I don't like, I don't limit anything on this podcast because you can have two people with two completely different diagnoses. And when they start to talk, there are these little overlaps, these little kind of things that kind of like fit, you know, it's, um, it, it's such a, it's a human experience, right? With like diagnosis, we're trying to put a label on it, on a, on a human experience. And ultimately none of us can understand each other's experience because like, that's just not possible. Right. So yeah, it's just like a really, um, yeah, it's fascinating. I think how these things kind of overlap and have their roots in the same, the same areas, but yeah, like I say, BPD does seem to be a particularly, um, tricky one to, to pin down, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's um. I suppose look, that's mental illness through and through, isn't it? I try and tell people that uh, a broken mind is is no different to a broken leg. You know, when you can you can see a broken leg and you can see that it's better and you can see when it's fixed, but that broken leg will never be as strong as a non-broken leg. It's the same as a mind; you just can't see it as much, and it kind of kind of acts out differently for for different lives. Yeah. Yeah, no, it makes a makes a lot of sense. Huh? Makes a lot of sense. There's a couple of other things, mate. I wanted to ask you about. I'm not going to uh, sort of segue into them. They're just stuff I've scribbled down, thinking about what we're going to chat about. And one of them is music, because I know that music's really important to you. I know that's a big big thing in your life. Have you always been a huge fan of music? And is that like, um, do you use that as a tool to kind of uh, you know look after your headspace a little bit? Uh, I guess so. I mean, I I experience music 
differently to to other people that I've talked to music about. I mean, like, so I sing. I do. I do a lot of singing. Not not professionally or anything, but my mum used to sing professionally. Um, so I've always kind of loved singing. You can't really shut me up when I'm around the house or cooking. Uh, but when when I hear uh, an amazing vocalist or a great performance, I, I can feel I can feel what they're putting out in what they're saying. So it kind of goes through me and like it, well, the hair stand up all over my body. So listening to something powerful is an experience to me, whether it be a, like a hard rock song or opera or some alternative or R&B or Motown, anything. If it's got passion and feeling behind the lyrics and it's got, you know, a, a melody that matches, then it just takes over. And it's, it, it's, it's a really nice experience to, to kind of be in that place and, and just have that moment. Yeah. Has that always been the case that you've just felt that really deeply? Yeah. 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 yeah definitely. Um, yeah. But obviously my mum, being a singer, uh, I was always always brought up with lots of music. Music was always on. She was always singing. So it's always been a, a big part of my life, even before I was born. Yeah, it's a nice way to uh, to look at it. Yeah, I, I, you know, music is my favorite thing to chat about. I've got a mental health podcast, but I think really I'm just a frustrated like music journalist or something. It's my favorite <laughs> my favorite thing to talk about is music. So if ever I find out someone's a music fan, I try and uh, try and get it in there there somehow. But I always think from like a, a mental health perspective, like there's something so so comforting in music, you know, regardless of whether you're going through a good patch or a, or a bad patch. And it can really like, for me, it can really help me. It can really get me through, calms me down when I'm anxious, you know, it gives me a, a hug when I'm sad. There's like a real, um, like, yeah, it's just a, an really important sort of well-being tool. I suppose it's a, it's a, you know, it's a, it's a big deal. I think if you're really into music, then music is everything, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I've, yeah. If someone said, you, you know, we can, promise you one thing but take away music i I definitely always go with keeping music yeah it's it's worth worth more to me than than any kind of riches yeah man that's cool i had a um a songwriter on called rachel walker mason and um she sees music i can't remember the name of the of the condition but she sees music in color um, and she's she's like a, a multi-award winning uh, songwriter, you know, that's that's her job. It's what she does. She's written some some like, you know, really big songs. And um, but yeah, when she hears hers certain um, certain songs, she sees it in color and she smells things. So um, like certain like, you know, music, certain emotions. Um, I'm sure it was steak. She told me she sees like if she sees blue and smells steak, she knows she's written a hit. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. I can't remember the name of the condition, but um, yeah, if you Google it, it'll pop straight up. It's like it's not common, but it's not it's not as uncommon as you as you'd think. Yeah, that's awesome. That's cool. that's really cool. I'd, yeah. I'd love to talk to her about that. It's fascinating. Yeah, she she said when yeah. she when she's writing with someone and they say what color is it, and they're they're always trying to get her to get her to blue because that's yeah that's that's what that's what color her like, hits are. Cook, but... Cooking a steak in the background is trying to trick her. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Trying to reverse engineer it. Yeah, <laughs> painting the walls and cooking steak. Yeah. <laughs> and the other thing I wanted to ask you about, Stevie, this might come um, a, a little bit out of left field, but again, I saw it on um on your Insta highlights. But you've got a um. Is it a diploma in body language? Is that right? Uh, canine body language. Canine body language. That's like yeah. that's even that's even more random. I think. What? What? Uh, where, so, where does that come from? 
So I've got a I've got a reducing bridge back. Um and she came with with many, many issues. Um so she's she's reactive, um, but in a very unique way. Like in the beginning, like I had loads of uh, behaviorists and whatnot came out to try and try and look at her and see what she was up to and try and figure her out. But no one could get through to her. No one could understand her motivations because her body language was given off different cues to the way she was acting, and they would change between anxious to aggressive to it was just all over the place and so no one could really understand her or put a fixing plan in place for her um so i started instead of paying behaviorists like thousands of pounds i put myself on five courses i did in the end um so five yeah five diplomas to to try and understand her better and trying to help her through her issues wow mate that's amazing yeah it's good I, and i i just I loved learning about it. Once you see, you can't unsee. Now I can see conversations that dogs are having with each other through their body language and the way they're they're acting. Um, you know, tail position, tail speed, ears, the direction of the, of the ears where they're facing, and how high their head is, how relaxed their jaw is. They're talking to each other, um, and it also annoys me a lot, and that frustrates me because dogs have been being domesticated for twenty thousand years. So for twenty thousand years, they have learned us they know how to read us they know how to act around us uh and you know, humans as a race have done nothing to try and understand dogs um so i see people putting their dogs in situations i can see the dog is not happy about it um, but that they, they kind of just they've got a really high tolerance they just battle through it i suppose internally because the owner isn't understanding what they're what they're going through what they're saying yeah, so the owner isn't tuned in, tuned into the dog, and uh, yeah, is making the situation potentially yeah worse or difficult or awkward. Yeah, or, yeah, and, and yeah, you see these stories about a, a dog um, randomly attacks so and so, and the dog will only bite as a very, very, very last measure, and before it gets to bite, there would have been lots and lots of communication to say, "Stop, give me space, leave me alone." But if you don't understand what they're saying, you can't see the communication, then you keep doing what they're not happy with. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, because it's like there's so much talk about that at the moment, isn't there, with like, you know, with the XL bully thing and stuff like that. And the, just, the, yeah, yeah. The, you know, owners, it always gets blamed on the breeds and like owners have no, it's as if owners have no like, like responsibility in that. And it's just the, it's yeah. just the wrong, the wrong way around, right? The wrong way around. Yeah, 100%. They don't really get much of a choice if they're, and they're brought up in a in an environment that encourages that or does nothing to stop it, then they're, they're an animal, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. Was, you know, as humans, we're no different, right? Like our environment is going to like mold us and make us a certain way. So why should dogs be any any different? It's that arrogance of modern humans, like you say, to do nothing to understand dogs and to like just blame it all on the breed. That's human beings that <laughs> just the with everything, isn't it? Whether it's like fucking climate change or anything, it's just this <laughs> arrogance of like we can do whatever the fuck we want, and yeah. everything else has just got to like lean to it, you know. I do often say that the worst thing to happen to this planet is is humans. We are we are the demise of the world. <laughs> Mate, yeah, very much so. Yeah. As I sit here with my lights on and you know, 
<laughs> yeah. yeah, that's a that's a cheery, uh, cheery way for us to take it to take it home, <laughs> take it home there, mate. But with the just touching on um, canine body language, can you like um, has that made you more perceptive to hu- humans? Can you look, you know, is there like a crossover there if you're noticing these small, small things? I've always been, ever since I was a boy, I've always been very good at reading people. Um, like I can. I can look at a photo of someone and get a read on their personality. So if I'm if I'm talking to someone for the first time, if they're on LinkedIn or something, I would look at their photo and I'd know what kind of language I could use to communicate with that person. I've always had that. Uh, it's not an ability or whatever it is. It's always been with me. Um, and I think that's why I've always been the guy that people will open up to, like <laughs> the, the, the guy delivering whatever uh, would, would, Asked me a question, I'd answer it, and then I'd, five minutes later, he's telling me his life story. Because I don't know, it's kind of automatic now. If I if I get a read of somebody and I ask the right question at the right time with the right tone, then it opens people up. So body language in humans is kind of not not the same as dogs, but it's something that I have been tuned into for a while. Yeah, I wonder if that's one of those things like we talked out talked about at the start you know like we talked about like creativity and being a creative person and the links yeah. between you know that sort of um yeah being able to read people and uh you know like i um i have anxiety so i i think i can read people and then assume the worst that tends to be how it <laughs> like saying to my wife all the time are you pissed off with me and she's like i've not even looked at you <laughs> yeah. so it's not Wait, it's not quite if, as useful. if she says she's fine she's not fine <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's pretty much yeah pretty much a, a rule to uh to play it by but yeah yeah oh mate it's been an absolute pleasure uh chatting to you this evening man thank you so much for uh for coming on it was lovely to meet you my pleasure thank you no worries, mate. We're going to do the old fake podcast ending, mate. Let me hit record. Yeah. Big up to the proper mental podcast. A podcast, a proper mental podcast.